Amen. Well, we're going to turn to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. I'll give you just a moment if you want to use that little code on the screen to, uh, to look up the passage on your phone. But if you've got a, a Bible with you as well, turn to John chapter 11. In John's gospel, uh, Easter week is drawing very close. Jesus gives his greatest sign and he calls on those who still doubt and disbelieve him to put their trust and their lives and their deaths and their eternity, eter eternity into his hands. So we're going to read uh, John chapter 11 from verse 1 uh, just down to verse 44. So stopping a little shy of the end. Uh, John 11 uh, from verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This uh, Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for, the Lord, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. 
But Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Let me finish our reading there. Severe illness and uh, severe disease. Is there any worse news that we can receive than, uh, than sickness and uh, perhaps even terminal illness? Bad enough to think of, uh, of suffering like that in people far away, people we don't know. Worse when it's people we, we do know and perhaps love. Uh, almost unthinkable uh, or, or unbearable to think that it might happen to us. We, we push that sort of thing right aside and out of our minds, don't we? Uh, we, we don't want to think about that at all. And living through a global pandemic hasn't helped, uh, hasn't helped us to keep that sort of thing at arm's length, has it? We've been really gripped by fear at different times over the last year and a half. So why doesn't God just stop it? Why doesn't God just take it away? Why doesn't God stop sickness and destroy death? And that question obviously comes right to Jesus in John 11. His friend Lazarus is sick, he's on his deathbed, what will Jesus do about it? Here's our first uh, lesson this morning. Uh, Jesus may not cure, but he does care. Jesus may not cure, but he does care. Jesus gets word that Lazarus is seriously ill. He, uh, he obviously knows the family, he's spent time with them, he loves them, but he does not drop everything and come running. Verse 5, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And then the strange verse, verse 6, uh, So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Living, living through a global pandemic has uh, raised our alertness, hasn't it, to any sort of delay 
in trying to get to grips with illness. Uh, you know, illness needs to be tackled head on right now, tracked, traced, isolated, and treated. So what's with Jesus here? What's with, what's with this delay? Why is he lagging behind? Why is he dragging his feet? He loved Lazarus, but he still didn't come. He didn't act. He even seems to wait for Lazarus to die. Uh, in fact, he does, but it's because he knows what he's going to do. Look at verse 4. Uh, Jesus said, The sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. He knows that he is going to raise Lazarus so that God will be glorified through him and many will come to believe in him. Uh, even his own disciples still need to learn just who Jesus is. They need to, to, to realize and come to know the, the, the real magnitude of the mission that he's on. Not just uh, healing those who can't walk or those who can't see, but uh, defeating death itself. Look at verse 11. Jesus said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples get the wrong end of the stick. Uh, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. But Jesus had been speaking of his death. And he told them, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. That's when they go. The disciples need to see this. Jesus has allowed this to happen for his greater purposes. He has a greater mission in mind here. We don't know why uh, God allows illness, but there can definitely be spiritual benefit to it. Illness can shake people, shake them out of normal busyness of their minds and their lives, confront them with danger and with death, uh, which despite our best attempts to keep it at arm's length, uh, can be an experience, uh, well, is an experience that, that each and every one of us will go through. Each and every one of us will go through, uh, will go through death. How many, how many Christians do you know who have a kind of um, life-threatening uh, confrontation moment as, as a really decisive episode in their coming to, uh, to uh, faith and put their trust in Jesus? Uh, what a kindness of God it is to shake us a little bit uh, and wake us up to the very real great danger of meeting him as our judge, which is exactly what will happen if we ignore or resist Jesus to the very end. So Jesus has a greater purpose in mind here, uh, but that doesn't mean that he's callous or uncaring. It's not a, he's not making a kind of cold trade-off. He cares deeply. Look what happens when he arrives in verse 33. Uh, Jesus sees Mary, I think it is, weeping, and the Jews who've come along with her also weeping, and he's deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And when he comes to the tomb, he weeps. And verse 38, uh, once more, deeply moved. That deeply moved that comes up twice, it's literally a kind of groan or a, 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 almost a snort of indignation and anger. Jesus is angry. He's offended by what's happened to his dear friend. Grief, grief is a whole mixture of feelings, isn't it? Sadness and sorrow, of course but also anger and a deep sense that this, this shouldn't happen. Death is wrong. Jesus is, is, is offended and angry about this, and he's moved to tears as well by the tears of others. He's, he's, he's offended and he's emotional. He may not cure, but he absolutely cares. Uh, as God in the flesh, he shows us that God 
cares intimately about sickness and pain and suffering and death. In the wider context of his purposes and his plans, he may not cure, but he does care. And that's not a given, of course, in, in worldviews, uh, different, different ideas that people have about how the world works and what's behind it all. Some suggest karma, you know, bad things happen to you because really you deserve it in some way for something you've done in this life or previous lives. Uh, some see pain as a kind of test that we've got to pass and come through and submit to. Uh, some say, well, there's, there's no God at all, so all of this is just the universe working itself out and it's survival of the fittest, and it's not really good or bad, it's just the way things are, although very few people can keep that line when they're sitting beside the hospital bed of a loved one. But we follow Jesus, who walked in our shoes, who, who grappled with these very real experiences of grief and anger and sorrow, and who cares deeply for each one of us because he loves us. It's not a given in worldviews that there's any meaning or purpose or any good that can come from suffering, but we have a God who cares deeply and who is at work for good. Jesus is right as well to be indignant about death because it is unnatural and it is wrong. The Bible teaches that death is the consequence of sin coming into the world, uh, that death exists and our lives are limited because of Uh, our global rebellion against God. But just as Jesus did not stop Lazarus from dying uh, so that he could uh, show his work and do something better, so God did not stop us from turning away from him and into the, the darkness of sin. Instead, he pursues us into that darkness to bring us out of it, to do something better. That's where this episode uh, takes us next. Jesus doesn't prevent our pain, but pursues us into it. He pursues us into death uh, so that he can bring us out once and for all. So Jesus is our cure for death itself. Jesus is our cure for death itself. Back here in John's gospel, Jesus meets the sisters one by one, but they both say the same thing, don't they? Uh, Verse 21 and 32, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died death is is hideous, every death is tragic, death is alien and unnatural and contrary to God's good creation. When death strikes, we don't just sing, oh, you know, it's the circle of life and, uh, you know, our friend has gone to be worm food and continue on the great cycle. No, it's tragic, it's offensive, it's outrageous, it's unnatural. The instinct that we have to to be angry in our grief is a Christ-like instinct. Death is not natural. Suffering is not natural. It's not the way things should be. And we sense that deeply, don't we? And the sisters are right. Jesus could have stopped it. He healed other people from far away. He healed people with all manner of illness and injury. Distance and diagnosis were no difficulty to Jesus, but he didn't stop it. Martha doesn't understand, but she is comforted somehow with doctrine. She, she has these, this framework of things that she can believe and cling on to even in this dark time. She believes that Lazarus will rise again when God wraps up the world and, and ushers in his new creation, uh, even though that doesn't take away her grief right now and doesn't stop her from missing him. Mary also doesn't understand, and she is overcome with tears, verses 32 to 35. Her grief sets Jesus off in verse 33. Sometimes that happens, doesn't it? Um, sometimes that happens at, at funerals, for example. You know, you're kind of holding it together 
until you see someone else uh, and you see just the devastation on their face and then that sets you off and that's what happens here with Jesus her grief Mary's grief sets him off in verse 33 and he doesn't just weep Jesus is not helpless as we are he lets loose his word Uh, Lazarus has been sealed in a tomb behind a stone that's laid across the entrance for what four days now Uh, and Jesus commands the stone to be rolled away there's a little bit of resistance to that suggestion as you would absolutely expect Uh, but uh, but when it's when it's rolled back he shouts Lazarus come out and verse 44 uh, the dead man came out his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. The the dead man came out. What a phrase. The dead man walked out of his own tomb. He's still wrapped up in grave clothes, including the one around his face, which is holding his his mouth closed, stops his jaw from flopping open. And they, they kind of peel these grave cloths off. And Lazarus opens his eyes, and the first sight he sees is the tear stained face of Jesus. Take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is what Jesus does for us. This is a picture of what Jesus has done for each and every one of us. Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Jesus has spoken to death on our behalf and said for each one of us, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Jesus raises and releases us and brings glory to God and joy to us. It's spectacular, it's flabbergasting, it's beautiful. We can imagine the scene around this tomb, this solemn place uh, as Lazarus comes out and, uh, and there's kind of, you know, that kind of laughter that's also crying at the same time and it's kind of bursting out of people and people are hugging and just kind of bewildered shakes of heads and this is truly unbelievable. They have to touch him to see, is it really him? They have to hold his head and look in his eyes. Are they really the eyes of someone who's alive? This is truly a a greater miracle, a greater demonstration of Jesus' power. This is a bigger reversal than anything. Giving sight to a blind man was one thing. This is next level. Then again, of course, Lazarus does still die later on doesn't he we don't have that part of the story recorded anywhere but uh, we know he's not just on some book tour for the last 2,000 years telling his story as he kind of walks the earth forever the the kind of record breaking oldest man alive he's dead and so is everyone else in this story uh, except one <clears throat> spoiler alert and that's why it, it's so good I think to see this story as an echo of what is coming in John's gospel We know um, from last week in chapter 10, the Feast of Dedication, Hanukkah has happened. That's this time of year, isn't it? It's the end of the month, start of December. We know that Easter is just a few months away. I think this episode happens just before Easter. So in a very short space of time and just a few miles away in Jerusalem, another dead man is going to be wrapped in grave clothes and laid in a cave tomb with a stone rolled across the entrance. And that dead man is also going to walk free. Jesus himself will go to die. Verse 8 and verse 16 show that he knows exactly what's going to happen to him when the authorities take him. So do his disciples. They know what's going to happen if they go that close to Jerusalem. That's why they try to talk him out of it. Lord, let's not go there. 
<laughs> it's a shame about Lazarus, but let's just stay up here in Galilee or wherever. Let's just stay out of the way. But Jesus goes to die so that he can take this Lazarus miracle, which is already an order of magnitude above the rest. He can take it to the next level. He's the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And he has authority from God the Father to take that life up again. We, we often want God to rid people of illness, people we know and love, people of all ages, also ourselves. We want God to rid us of illness and, and just at least help us to feel comfortable so we can sleep at night and, and go about our day. But Lazarus, and like Lazarus, we are going to still die. Every single one of us is going to end up in the ground. But Jesus has a bigger miracle in mind. He has death itself in his sights. We don't need God to stop sickness. Well, we do and we want it, but we really need him to destroy death. That's the thing which is most unnatural, most infuriating, most tragic. Jesus goes to his death so that he can burst through death itself. Uh, he's like, um, he's sledgehammering through a prison wall. We're all locked inside, but Jesus is bursting a hole through, so that he can lead us out through it uh, to freedom, to, to true life. Uh, he's the, the needle that kind of punctures through um, and passes through a black curtain that lies over us, the black curtain of death. He passes through and draws a thread through behind, uh, through that black shroud, through to the other side. He punctures death and draws us through behind him. So verse 25, uh, Jesus said to Martha, I think it is, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Strange, uh, strange way to put it, but it's, resurrection is a strange word, isn't it? We, we talk about resurrecting something. Uh, what we tend to mean is that we've revived it. Uh, so, you know, we've resurrected our habit of daily exercise. I've uh, resurrected my enjoyment of muesli. Well, nobody would ever say that. What a ridiculous, nobody's going to say that sentence. But, um, you know, you've kind of dusted off an old book. You know, I thought I'd given up on it, but now I've really tried again and I've really got into it. Or you go and buy an old car uh, and you charge the battery and you change the oil and you put the fuel in and you clean it up and you do other things that I don't know anything about. And with enough tender, loving care, it kind of sputters its way back to life. But that's not resurrection. That's intensive care. That's what that is. Um, that, resurrection doesn't happen in the workshop. It happens at the scrapyard. Resurrection doesn't happen in the hospital. It happens in the graveyard. Lazarus was raised. He was, rev well, he wasn't revived, was he? But he was raised. But he and we will be resurrected. And that is different. We'll be resurrected like Jesus. Resurrected and released into true life and real freedom beyond sickness, beyond death, to God's eternal glory. And do we see how that's just so much better than stopping sickness? See how that's much more glorious to God and ultimately much, much better for us. Of course, 
No one's saying we shouldn't long for and pray for an end to illness, whether it's in ourselves or people we know or just in uh, whole groups and populations of people around the world. We, we should long and hope and pray for that. Of course we should. We should absolutely care about health care and clean water and sanitation and a healthy environment. But we also have a better hope for a greater miracle than recovery and a better destination than good health. When people are confronted by mortality and death, and when we are confronted by them ourselves, let's pray that we focus on something that's much better than a cure for sickness. Let's look to the one and tell others of the one who is our cure for death itself. Jesus is our cure for death itself. How do we access that cure? Well, that's really the question we're asking at the end. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Jesus raises Lazarus to prove his power to resurrect us. His ultimate purpose is not just to patch up the old creation. His glory is, is resurrection. And the whole world is invited. Do we believe it though? That's Jesus' question. And that's Jesus' aim, isn't it? Glory for God through Jesus as people come and believe in him. Verse 15, he says to his own disciples, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. I would love to have spared Lazarus this experience, spared his family, but for your sake, I'm glad you're going to see what you're going to see. You need to see this. You need to believe the full magnitude of what I'm here to do. It's Jesus' question to Martha and his question to us. He says, I am the resurrection. Do you believe in the resurrection? Oh yeah, I believe in the end. No, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Next week we're going to see some people believe in Jesus and others still won't. Some receive the cure, but others refuse it. So, so what about us? That's the question, isn't it? What about us? Jesus won't always heal. He won't always prevent suffering in this life. Sometimes he will allow very difficult things and we'll struggle so much with that. But there is no suffering like what he endured for us, hanging in the, the waterfall deluge of God's justice and wrath against our sin that would cut us off from him forever. Jesus loves you and is committed to bringing all things to a glorious resurrection. Uh, he's like that needle pulling through the dark curtain of death and drawing us through after him. He comes through the other side. He will pull us through too. And on the other side of this shroud, there's feasting, there's joy, there's immortal life with Jesus where he wipes every tear from our eyes. And death is not something we have to deal with, face, think about, or ever witness. It will be a thing of the past. Suffering's not hopeless. There is great hope. It points us to the one who has pulled through the shroud of death and wants to pull us through as well. So are we, are we connected to him? If Jesus wants to pull us through that shroud of death, like a needle pulling a thread, are we connected to Jesus? Are we linked with him? 
I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? If you do, uh, please do share bread and wine in just a moment as we uh, gather at the Lord's table to act out our faith in him and our need of his, uh, his saving, life-giving, sustaining care. First, why don't we pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll remember the Lord and his death for us. Let's pray.